You're listening to Experts in Their Field, a podcast from the Agricultural Science Association, generously sponsored by Ulster Bank. Hello, listeners. My name is Anne-Marie Butler, and I'm the president of the Agricultural Science Association. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode three in our ASA podcast series, Experts in Their Field. ASA Council member, Professor Tommy Boland, was delighted to catch up with Professor Morris Boland, formerly of UCD and latterly of Altec Ireland. Professor Boland is synonymous with research and education for a generation of professionals. In this podcast, Tommy caught up with the person behind the professor, as Morris shared his insights and observations from a long and illustrious career in agricultural science. Hello listeners, my name is Tommy Boland and I am a council member of the Agricultural Science Association. I'm delighted to welcome you back to episode three of our podcast series titled Experts in Their Field. Today's guest certainly rests comfortably within that category as we are joined by Professor Morris Boland, formerly of University College Dublin and latterly of Altec Ireland. Good morning, Morris. Good morning, Tommy. Morris, you're synonymous with agricultural research and education for a generation or more of our agricultural science graduates and professionals, but perhaps some of our younger listeners may not be as familiar with you. Uh, with that in mind, could you just introduce yourself as the person behind the professor? Well, I grew up on a small mixed farm in North Wexford. So we had uh, some dairy cows, beef animals, sheep, pigs, and a bit of tillage. I hand milk cows. And uh, so that'll give you some indication of where I'm coming from. Went to secondary school in Gorey CBS. And from there, got a scholarship to UCD and went into ag science, uh, went to UCD in 66 and graduated in 1970. Uh, there were about 100 in the class, including two girls. So I was lucky insofar as I ended up uh, being offered the opportunity to study for a master's degree, and I took that up to, to work with Professor Ian Gordon. And that was one of my really big breaks, working with somebody as eminent and as scientifically driven as he was. And you mentioned Professor Ian Gordon. I think it's fair to say, Morris, that, that yourself and Professor Gordon and some of your colleagues working out of the research farm in Lines were really involved in some revolutionary research in, in the early stages of embryo transfer. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and about you know the type of work you conducted and, and the impact it had? Well, as you said, I was lucky to be with a really good team. And it was a team of three, really, led by and driven by uh, Ian Gordon. He was the brains behind the system. And then there was Frank Crosby that you will know very well and myself. We were the part of the embryo transfer team. And we were basically working out of really basic facilities. But Ian Gordon set us the task to develop a non-surgical embryo transfer procedure for cattle. This had never been done before, and Frank looked after the whole embryology side, and I was the one that had to look after the animal side. So together, we worked very, very diligently, and we developed the non-surgical embryo transfer uh, for cattle. And this was the first time that this had been developed in the world, but coincidentally, uh, Joe Shreenan and his team at Belclare were working on the same program, and the two Irish groups were the first to develop that procedure. 
And what that did was it projected Ireland onto the world stage because certainly at Lyons, and I know that Joe Sheenan would have had the same number of visitors at Belclare. We had visitors from all over the world uh, coming to us, not only to just visit, but actually to come and carry out some of their research programs there, you know, from North America, from South America, from uh, New Zealand. Uh, we had visitors for varying periods of time. So that set the, the tone for the early uh, embryo transfer work. So I think it's, it's fair to say that that reputation developed uh, still continues to this day, and we still have a number of international visitors uh, coming to the IVF facilities at the University Farm at Lyons Estate. Also, Morris, I think, and it's probably one of the attractions of the Ag Science degree in UC and the Animal Science degree in UC, that a number of embryologists who trained in the IVF facilities um, at Lyons Farm went on to have very successful and continue to have very successful careers in the human reproductive fertility industry. Oh, yeah. It, and basically what you're talking about is with very minor modifications, but the same technology that is that is being used. And in fact, the animal world led uh, the race uh, as far as the humans were trying to develop, you know, the embryo transfer and they developed it much later. But, you know, they have now surpassed it because it's become part of the whole uh, health issue for for the humans. And many of the people that moved on to the human side got their training initially at Lyons and they were able to move elsewhere uh, into the human world. That transfer was very, very smooth. But you can also expand that to look at the graduates from ag science. Um, I used to be very proud that many of the ag science graduates didn't end up working in the ag industry, but in other industries, whether it was uh, in relation to uh, radio, uh, reporting, banking, uh, you take it, they went into many, many different industries. And I suppose one of the real strengths of the ag degree program, no matter which of those you take, is that it's scientifically underpinned, but it's very broad-based in its applications. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the key strengths of, of, of the ag science graduates um, is their problem solving abilities and the skills that they learn and develop through their degree program to, to aid with that. And just to take you back for a moment to that early work in lines, I think you made reference to problem solving abilities when you said that facilities mightn't have always been fantastic. They probably weren't uh, or certainly wouldn't be today in compliance with health and safety regulations, Morris. And you know, you have probably have some interesting tales from those days with some of the work you had to do uh, in, in the absence of facilities. Uh, yeah, we had very basic facilities. But what we had was that we had a willingness to utilize the facilities to the optimum. You know, in terms of the incubator ovens that we had were very, you know, let's say basic. Our animal handling facilities were non-existent. We, were, we started off doing surgical embryo transfer where uh, I did the surgeries under a license from the Department of Health at that stage. But we had no crush facilities for holding our heifers before we gave them the knockdown injection. So it was like Brown's cows all in together, grad students, Frank Crosby, myself, we brought in the heifers, we gave them the knockdown injection in an open room. And we had accidents there. 
Uh, one one graduate student uh, got a broken jawbone one day when a, a heifer's head came up very quickly and uh, gave him a, a belt. Another animal broke away before we could actually uh, give her the knockdown injection. She took two doors with her and she escaped to the far side of the road at Lyons. We had to follow her out with a lorry, catch her in the field, bring out some more animals to catch her, brought her back in, did embryo transfer, and truly she had twins. <laughs> we could not believe it in terms of the stress that that animal was under, not to mention the stress that we were under doing that transfer, but she ended up carrying twins. Yeah, probably no harm mobile phones and social media weren't around in those days to capture some of that. Oh, absolutely. There was nothing around to capture it. Absolutely. But that was that, those were the conditions then. They've changed completely now. And in some ways, I would say gone a little bit overboard in terms of the political correctness. Uh, everybody was in that together and, uh, you know, they were all worked together. A team was a really important part of our working relationship then because everybody worked for everybody. And that led to no competition amongst the team, but led to fierce competition to make sure that we were successful. And I think that's something I'll revisit with you in a few in a few minutes, Mark, because you, you continually, and I've heard you say this before, you make reference to the importance of having having a good team around you. But before we get into that, you were identified as a leader very early in your career, or maybe you became a leader very early in your career. And at a young age, you were you were you were the chairperson of the Lions Management Committee, um, and you became the youngest uh, section head in the department or the youngest department head. Is that correct? Oh, I was, Lyons was, Lyons was home to me. It was home to Frank Crosby. We would, we, we sweated tears and blood for keeping Lyons moving and, and uh, keeping it going. Um, I was appointed to chair the Lyons Management Committee at a relatively young stage in life with no experience. And I'm still not sure why I was asked to do that, but uh, I, I did it. And what I learned from that is that if you share your facilities with others, then you will make progress. And what I mean by that was that the previous Lions Management Committee had been quite hidden and they told Belfield less than they needed to know. I took the complete opposite approach to it as chair of the Lions Management Committee. I said, we share all the information with the people at Lions. That is the president. Uh, the registrar, the bursar, the deans. So we had an open day on an annual basis at Lyons where we invited all of those, but nobody from outside. And they came down and they toured Lyons for two or three hours. They saw exactly what we were doing. We put up all the publications. We showed them all of the research. The graduate students spoke about their actual research programs when they were there. And it opened up a new vista. It meant that we were able to get money from Belfield on an annual basis to continually upgrade lines. We weren't getting it for our own purposes or our own research program, but it was to upgrade the facilities at lines. And whatever approach you took in that role, Morris, it was obviously working because soon after you were, you received a phone call from the president to take over the department head. Is that correct? Oh yeah. I remember that phone call very well as if it was yesterday. Uh, for some reason, I was happened to be in my office. It was just after lunch because I spent a lot of time out of my office working with grad students. I really enjoyed working with the grad students. But I got a, a phone call from the president uh, 
And he was almost apologetic, but he says, Morris, I want you to take over as, as head of the department. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, I want you to take over as head of the department. And my first reaction, well, I said, President, I have no real excuse to give you that I cannot do it. But have you told Professor Gordon, who was uh, the incumbent in it? He says, I haven't, but give me 30 minutes. Because I said, I need to talk to him. He was, he was my boss. Yeah. So I watched my watch carefully and it disrupted my afternoon because now I was on tender hooks and I went across to Professor Gordon and we used to always refer to him as Prof. Never and still would if I met him today. And I said, hi, Prof. Was the president on to you? He fucking was. And, but it followed on from there. He never interfered with anything that I did as head of the department. So I was there now with a big task on my hand, again, with no experience and no guidance how to do it. But we got through it. And I think one of your policies, Morris, if I recall what you've said previously with your leadership roles, was to be very open in, in, in what you do to, you know, bring everybody along with you to make the budgets open for everybody to see. Is, is that a fair assessment? Oh, yes, absolutely. What, what I did, whether I was chairman of the Lions Management Committee or head of the department, uh, and I was being appointed for a three-year period. So, you know, I said, well, at least there's light at the end of the tunnel. I shared all of the information with the other staff members. So when we had a, a staff meeting, it wasn't just the academic staff. We had technicians in that. We had the administrator. We'd only one administrator, but everybody went to the meeting and everybody saw what was what was going on. And I remember my first budget meeting, which was an eye opener for me. I was um, I said, now, how are we going to spend our budget? And it was silence. And I just said, you know, this is not my money. This is our money. And I need your input as to how we get the maximum amount of return out of the small budget that we've got. It's up to me to fight with the dean to increase our budget in future. But it's up to you to decide how we, we spend it. And that opened a lot of um, new ground in many ways for me because it showed people that I was serious about what I was doing. I wasn't moving on until I got their input. And I can tell you, I got their input in so constructive and so positive. They rode in behind what we were doing to come up with new ways of, of doing things. And their input to the department, you know, was fantastic. So now we had a department working together. And in fact, the whole ethos of the department changed. People started to come into work earlier without me asking them. They were in, you know, half eight and then it was eight o'clock and then it was before eight o'clock that they were actually in their offices working away. And I had a fantastic department of animal science behind me. So it was easy for me to, to get things done. That three years then turned into six years and 10 turned into nine years. And I actually had to say, I said it six years to the president, you really should put in somebody else to run this. They won't do it the same way that I did. That doesn't mean it's better or worse. They'll do it differently. But he didn't do it, but he did do it after nine years. And I think that was, again, somebody in one position for too long becomes stale, no matter how many ideas. If they have good ideas, they'll have used them up in the previous three to six years. And it's probably fair to say, though, at, at that stage, that animal science department became quite success, successful, Morris. We, under, we underwent a, a review, a quality assurance, quality improvement. 
And we were one of the first in UCD to do that. But what that did was it opened new doors because we got the critique of where our department was going. And we put in our self-assessment report and said we were going to focus on three areas. What it meant was that we were able to build up the academic staff in the department by 50% over the next three to four years. So that was a real starter for us as well. And then we'll fast forward a little bit up to 2005 when really I think there was perhaps unbeknownst to people outside of the university, but there was huge change taking place at a, at a, at a school and college level um, and a department level within the university. And, you know, you and, and a number of your colleagues were, were really at the cold face in terms of that change. Could you talk us through that time and the challenges it presented? Yeah, 2004, 2005 were great and, and were, they were very disruptive, but they were disruptive in a positive way. In 2004, I was appointed to the role of dean. Uh, by the president, Hugh Brady. And then, uh, you know, we were working through various modifications, review of the programs and all the rest. But Hugh Brady brought in new thinking. He was inspirational in terms of his leadership, in my view. Others wouldn't agree with me because they didn't like what he was doing. But I remember having a conversation with him. I said, Hugh, can you give us three years with the faculty and we'll turn it around? He says, Morris, unfortunately, Unfortunately, nothing will be the same. So he abolished all faculties and all departments in 2005. But what he did was he brought together wood and they were going to be working under colleges and schools. And one of the schools that he formed was the School of Agriculture, Food Science and Veterinary Medicine, which in my view was one of the best things that ever happened in UCD. But it brought together staff from three faculties and 13 departments into the biggest school in the UCD. And I was given the task of leading, leading that. So you can imagine how popular that was with our veterinary colleagues. Uh, again, I approached it on the basis of uh, establishing a very small management group of four people, which comprised of myself as chair, by Jones, who was the Dean of Veterinary Medicine at the time. Jim Roach was a, a really good colleague from an ag, but was working in the vet school, and Dolores O'Riordan uh, was from the ag side. And we made the decisions, and we had, and I said, we'll make the decision as a collective, and I'll take any crap that comes from that, because there will be lots of that, and there was lots of that. But that school turned in to be one of the best in UCD, and that's a self-assessment, if you like, but I know it from some of the facts, because uh, three years after taking on that role, I was asked to head up the College of Life Sciences, which included medicine, chemistry, biology. There were seven or eight different schools in there. But when, when I went back to look at some of the metrics for the success of that College of Life Sciences, one of those that I picked out was the number of individual staff members that had research grants worth three million or more under their control. And there were 16 of those across the College of Life Sciences. And there were 11 of those in ag, food, science and veterinary medicine. So I rest my case in terms of how good uh, that school was. And the last point on that was when I went to my first meeting of that school, I said I had a single agenda item. And that was to make the school the best in the College of Life Sciences. I said that can be successful if you want it to be successful. 
If you don't want it to be successful, it won't. And I certainly cannot make it successful. But it's you as the team members that will make it successful. And they bought into that and made it successful. And Marston, maybe a final question on your time in UCD, because you did have, have another career out, outside of UCD. One thing that, that I've heard you say frequently, and you're, you're very quick to offer praise uh, to the people who worked with you and work and work for you. And that seems to be an essential tenant in your management style to, you know, to have really good people around you. But I had really good people around me and and I always made the point and, and I certainly did it. And I know that because it wasn't too hard for me to do. Imply people that are better than you and then all boats will lift. And, you know, that was one of the mantras that I always believed in. Uh, if you imply somebody better than you, then you will never be in a bit of trouble because they will lift the boats with you. There might be a bee up your bum looking for facilities, but I always liked those kind of bees. I always liked the people that are positive and wanted to move forward. Uh, I always say there's three groups of people, leaders, followers, and those who get in your way. And the ones who get in your way are the ones that really cause you the anxiety and take up your, take up your time. But I had a fantastic team around me. And again, that was point, um, evident when the new system of promotion came into UC, in UCD. Uh, an assload of the people in animal science got promoted because they were really working very well and had the, all of the work you know, prepared. Jim Roach said to me one stage, he said, I'll give you one bit of advice, boss, he says. You must always be prepared. The ball hops once. And if you don't catch it, somebody else has gone with it. So the opportunity is fleeting, but you must be prepared for it. And when you mentioned opportunity then, Morris, and, and maybe this is an example of where perhaps the ball, one of the rare occasions where the ball hopped twice. Uh, when you finished with UCD, you, you joined um, your, your good friend, Pierce Lyons, in Altec. And had Pierce tried to get you to, to cross over to Altec prior to your, to you actually joining him? Uh, yeah, he did, actually. Uh, back in, I had bought a bit of, a small bit of land. I wanted to do a bit of hobby farming. And I bought that uh, just before 2000. And then shortly after that, Pierce came to me and wanted to meet me and met up. And uh, he wanted me to join his team as a research director. And I thought about it and he wanted to talk about salary. I said, no, I won't talk about any salary until I see whether I'm going to join you or not. Because I said, I don't believe in money attracting you. And I still believe that if you get a job that you like, the money will come. But if you get a job that you don't like, no money could pay you for it. So we didn't, I didn't join up with him. But then when I retired, I got a phone call out of the blue one evening. He says, hi, Morris, I believe you've retired. Would you work for me now? You wouldn't work for me before. And I said, I will, but I won't work full time. And I said, I'll work 60 to 80 percent of the time. And yes, it's grand. And, uh, you know, there was very little discussion again on salary. And I said, who is my boss? And he says, you won't have a boss. You'll be your own boss. I said, I won't work for you because I, I need a boss. So he says, give me 24 hours and 24 hours. He came back and said 90% to Carol Dawson, who was head of research, and 10% to him. I said, perfect. And, you know, that was just it. But I always wanted to know who my boss was because one of the things that I always believed in is don't give your boss many surprises. You know, make him prepared and come to your boss with solutions rather than problems if you want to get things done. 
And when you went into Alltech, then, you know, very different business model to, to a university, perhaps at least from the outside. You know, what, what could you take from a university experience into a, into a commercial organization like Alltech? When I went in there, I was as nervous as a kitten. I was out of my comfort zone completely. I had looked on industry as being the big, you know, the best and all of that. When I went in there, I suddenly realized, you know, the training that I've got in terms of management, budget control, working with people, working as part of a team were all things that I could actually bring to their table. And I wasn't in there very long when I was made uh, chairman of the management group at the European Biosciences Center. I could bring many of the good practices that we had in UCD to the table there, and Alltech really appreciated that. I guess one of the things that I was able to bring was the independent thinking that we had at UCD, like working with people like Jim Roach, you got a fantastic training. And we always said, we're focusing on the message, not the messenger, so that there was critique, not criticism. So I never lost my ability to critique and I would say to Pierce things that he didn't like to hear, but I said, no, I'm just giving you my opinion on it. You take all of it, none of it, or anywhere in between. And that was my always my mantra. I think always looking for advice is a great way of getting things done rather than demanding on somebody how you go about doing things. And, you know, I, I think, Morris, there... You've probably highlighted a lot of a lot of points um, and things you have learned throughout your own career. You know, before we, we wrap up, you know, could you summarize some of those in terms of advice for, for young people entering the industry now? It's it's a dynamic industry. You made a reference to milking cows by hand on your home farm in Wexford. You know, cows are milked by robots now. They can be body condition scored by by electric electric cameras. They can be sent into one field or the other by an automated draft. Yet huge change has occurred, but there's probably still some very core principles that are required for success today, just like there were um, oh, I, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Absolutely. I think in terms of what I would be looking for, you know, or what I would be suggesting to somebody going into a career, whatever it is, be inquisitive. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. And that is not a criticism. Secondly, seek advice rather than asking somebody to do stuff for you. Be decisive. Be prepared to make a decision. Uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Certainly, I made many of those, but I learned from them. And and I guess the first one, that I, the first big one that I learned from was when I went for my first interview after doing my PhD. I had my tail end on the chair when the chairman asked me, what are you going to do for this job? I was dead in the water because I hadn't thought about it. Also, be a team player. And we used to say in, in Altec, there is no I in team, in T-E-A-M. And TEM is together, each achieves more. So you'll, if you have a team working for you, you can see it in sport. A good team will beat a, a team that has got several really outstanding individuals. Take responsibilities for your own actions. You know, make sure that, you know, the paperwork is done. I used to have a thing in the, our own little toilet here. No job is finished until the paperwork is done. And it really sends home a message. As I said already, make sure your boss doesn't get unwanted surprises keep them aware if you and you will run into clashes with people but keep your boss informed look at i had a run in with tommy boland and these are the circumstances and i had some of those and you know remember had one with a, a colleague in ag and went to told hugh brady said it might be something coming down your your tracks from this person 
and I said, I've spilled some blood, Hugh. He looked at me and says, Morris, I'm a medic. I don't mind you spilling blood. Why don't you clean up after yourself? <laughs> so as I've already said, be creative and be innovative. The, the people that are creative and innovative are to be up your bum, but they're the ones that will push your organization forward. So regardless of the technologies that have been developed, you still need people to work together. And it's all about people. And I genuinely say I was really lucky having fantastic people around me and working with me. On the admin side, both in UCD with Maya Ryan, uh, in Altec with Louise Haas, somebody like that. They can treble your output by giving them jobs to do that would take you hours to do. You know, so it's how you spread and give people responsibility becomes really important. So I would say to people, don't be afraid to give others responsibility. But I think for me, the most crucial thing is to give the people credit for what they do. And I honestly kyle up when I hear some of these ministers and politicians say, I did, I did, I did. A load of horse manure. They can't do it without their team around them. For sure. And, you know, there's another team around everybody who's who's successful, Morris, and that's that's the family at home. And, you know, since since you, you've retired now, are you getting to spend a little bit more time, um, you know, with the grandkids, COVID-19 apart and enjoying that side of life? Oh, sure I am. But I had I had a fantastic fam- family. I spoke about being lucky. And this is on a strictly personal note. At the end of my second year, I met my wife and within a month of us meeting, we both knew where we were going. And because I remember, you know, met her in court and talking to her in the dance hall in court on about would she like to live in the country or the city? And that was because I had been given an opportunity to specialize. And if I did the animal science degree at that stage, I would probably have ended up working for the department. I chose not to do the, the you know, the, chose to do the den- general degree. And that was really good. She has been really supportive of me, as have my three daughters who worked with me at Lions. And if we had enough time, I could give you all the details about how they help with conferences and so on. But your family are important. Yeah, I'm having great fun now with the grandkids, uh, you know, in terms of there's two of her daughters living close by here. And I see the grandkids, you know, on a constant basis. In fact, we had them up here yesterday and they, they go baking with their grandmother and stuff like that. So it's fantastic. Okay, I think that's a that's a, a nice note to, to finish this conversation on, Mar. So listen, I really appreciate your time being so open with your experiences and, you know, for being so open with your advice. And I think anybody who's worked with you, met you, sought your advice over the years would certainly attest to that, that, you know, certainly that you're very free with your time and, and open with your advice. So, Mars, thanks for your time this morning and continued good health. Thanks, Tommy.